So just taking a moment to breathe that life in. And right here, right now, I acknowledge that one, that one life, that one love that is eternal. It is all things, seen and unseen. It is everywhere, right now. And because it is all there is, I know that it is what makes me me. It makes everything and everyone. And I know, I recognize that this one life, this one spirit, this one love is living itself through me now. That it is all there is. That it is reflecting itself in, out into the world through me and through all things and all peoples that it creates. And so I realize this truth of my being and of all things that this eternal life, this reflection of spirit is moving forward into a new day in each and every moment. And as it moves into becoming more, more good, more love, more creation, that I am right alongside with it. For we are one. And I recognize like, hmm, like standing on a ship that is traveling into the unknown and into a glorious new day that it is being guided, guided by that spirit and that love. And so I release any hesitation, any doubts, as I open to holding that great expectation of my good coming into being right now. And I see this in the calm and peace and excitement of the birds carrying on their nesting and singing, of the insects busy with the new blossoms, that life is abounding, that my life is full and continuing regardless of the times and the events, that all good is unfolding before me, that my body is one with this spirit. It is whole and complete, 
drinking in this love and this support. I'm so grateful for this gift, for this blessing and this truth, knowing all are one, all are held and supported as we arrive into this new day, full and complete, with our good before us in every moment. And so I release this word and this truth with joy and expectation into that law which brings it into being right here and now. And together we say, and so it is. So this whole month, we're looking at the theme of um, bright beginnings. And on a day like this, it's kind of easy to feel that bright beginnings. But it's, it's a bright beginnings that's also with the light within us that's always on, whether it's day or night, whether it's dark and stormy and rainy, or whether it's a beautiful sunny day like this. And today we're looking at uh, a kind of a double theme, broken open and Easter. And this day is a kind of a, it's a, two overlapping holidays. The first one is Easter itself, which isn't about Jesus. It's about the goddess Estra, who is a, a fertility goddess from the uh, Central and Northern European and uh, English um, tradition. And she's the goddess of fertility, which is where we get all the eggs and the bunnies and, and the, the chicks and all that good stuff from. And it's a time when all of these, the earth people celebrate that all these eggs and these seeds and the ground itself breaks open, revealing its new life, freeing the new life that has been contained within, which is a powerful metaphor for us that we need to let something, let our shells, let our crusty, hard, frozen ground begin to thaw out and break open to allow that new life. We have a story of the resurrection and both of these stories are about new life and about new rebirth. And we're thinking, and we, we, we go through the process of breaking open from the appearance of death. And it's the appearance of death, not the reality. So if you throw your minds back a few months, about four months, we remember that we celebrated solstice. And solstice itself celebrates and remembers the beginning of the return of the light. It's just barely, barely starting to be new. And Easter is the full growth of that light, where it's, it's in full form, we can see it. Uh, it will continue to grow, but it's, it's, we're, we're not celebrating a little baby light. We're celebrating you know, full on you know, the warming and the life uh, expressing uh, that we're doing, that we experience all around us, we see all around us. And Christmas in the same way celebrates the birth of the hope that was implied by Christ's consciousness, the birth of that. And the resurrection celebrates the growth of that, the, the, the consummation of that, if you will. Uh, it takes that life then to another level. And I don't want to talk today necessarily about the factuality of the resurrection story uh, any more than, because than I, I, I don't believe in the factuality of the resurrection story any more than I believe that we have a, an Easter bunny running around leave, leaving eggs last night must have been a cold bunny last night here, uh, or a fertility goddess who is making things happen uh, and pushing stuff up on the ground. I don't believe any of that stuff. It's, they're fabulous stories, uh, and we're going to look at that in a minute, but 
but I don't believe in any of that stuff. If, if any of you want to research the resurrection story, there are books out there. Uh, one of my kind of favorites is Bishop John Shelby Spong's book, Unbelievable, and that can kind of provide some deeper insight into the story uh, from that basis. But what I want to explore is the soul story, the archetypal story that's contained within both the Easter, which is the, the, the new life, and the resurrection story. And these are stories of transformation, not just a little bit of a change, but breaking open, shifting from darkness to light, shifting from hopelessness to a full realization of our spiritual magnificence. William uh, Bridges, in his book, Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes, says transitions, and I, was also, I would actually use the word transformation, but transition always starts with an ending. To become something else, you have to stop being what you are now. To start doing things a new way, you have to end the way you're doing them now. And to develop a new attitude or outlook, you have to let go of the old. And so we have to have this ending of something for something new to come forward. And out of this ending comes the new life of which spring emerges. It's followed by, uh, it preceded by a deep winter. To have spring, we have to lose all our leaves and appear to die, right? And so we have to go through that process. We have to have that deep wintering process. And then out of that, this new life of spring emerges. To have erection, resurrection, excuse me, we must have a death. There's a fabulous blues song by uh, Albert King that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And so we have to, if we want to get to heaven, if we want to get to that transformation, if we want to go beyond where we are now, we have to let something die. And so we say, we talk about oftentimes wanting a, a radical transformation and all oh, that sounds so spiritual. It sounds so good. But most of us, frankly, and I include myself in this, are like the young man who asked Jesus what he needed to do for a greater experience of eternal life. What did he need to do to, to move more powerfully into that? And when Jesus looks at him and says, give up everything you got and follow me, the young man turns around, turns away, it says, in sadness. Because he doesn't want to leave his comfortable life behind. And so many of us are happy in our comfortable lives. American culture especially loves this kind of concept of endless summer, and we don't want to have our leaves fall, and we don't want the rains to come, and we especially don't want the dark, cold, and the death of winter in our lives. We want a nice, comfortable, gentle growth to our spiritual consciousness. Anybody besides me kind of you know, have that a little bit? And for a while, by the way, on the journey, that works. We can do that. But at some point, if you're really serious on your journey, we come to a point where we have to let go and walk into the valley of the shadow of death because it's the only way we can move into our true greatness. We, it's the only way we can discover that death is only a shadow. And it's the only way to learn that spirit is ever present. In that psalm that talks about the valley of the shadow of death, it says that thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And the rod was the, the tool that the shepherd uses to guide the sheep along, to, to herd them along. And the staff is that which the shepherd used over rocky ground to gain stability. And so we learned that we are guided by this process, and yet we are still stable, even though the ground may look rocky. It goes further in that psalm and says that spirit provides a table, which is all sustenance for me, 
for us in the sight of my enemies. So all this stuff is still going on around me, and yet I'm totally sustained, totally sustained. So we have to go through this process because no matter how much we say or we think we know the spiritual truth, we've read, we've taken classes, and we've done all our studies, we don't really know it. Know it, know it, know it at the heart level, know it at the gut level until we have walked through the valley. Ernest Holmes talks about the difference between knowing about and applying or living spiritual principles. He says that nobody was ever healed by the announcement of spiritual principle. Oh, I know there's a principle of health. No, we have to do the work and actually know that principle and apply that principle within us. So we get brought to that point of where we have to let go, where we have to be willing to die to the old. And then we enter the time that sometimes, some people actually hate even more than that. There's a time between the death and the resurrection. There's a time between the leaves falling, the plants dying back, and the new spring. And for many, this prospect, the prospect of this time, of hanging out in between, hanging out in that, in the meantime, Alana Van Zandt wrote a beautiful book that was with that title, In the Meantime. It's in hanging out in that zone of, I don't know is really uncomfortable. For a lot of us, we're experiencing that right now with the whole quarantine process. You know, we don't know when we're going to be able to come back together. We don't know what's going to happen next. Now, the truth is, life is always that way. We've never known what's going to happen next. But it's really up in our faces globally right now about this. And it's uncomfortable because we want to make some plans. That, that we want to control this journey and get through it our way. And our way usually is quickly and with minimal discomfort. Can we just get this thing over? Can we just find a vaccine, slam that thing down, and be done with it really quickly? We want to be through with it quickly. But things take time. I remember, um, and I don't mean this as a political comment at all, but I remember George Bush about five days after the bombing of, of uh, Baghdad, when we, at the beginning of the Iraq war, lands on an aircraft carrier, declares that we've, we've won the war, it's over. Five days afterwards, 20 years later, we're still wrapped up in that country. And that's how life is, is we think we have a short, quick solution, but if we don't go deep and really understand it, we end up still working through it. So this to develop our, our Christ consciousness, to really develop our Christ consciousness, to really expose and bring forward our spiritual magnificence, we have to let go of our way. I know that hurts. Trust me, I know that hurts. Because our comfortable way, our way, can only take us as far as we've been. It can only take us to the zone that it knows and we are comfortable because we can walk around in that zone. Yesterday I was doing a, a house release with, with uh, one of our congregants. And she talked about how she'd been in this house for, I think it was 16 years or something like that. And she knew it so well that you could turn out all the lights and in pitch black, she could walk front to back in that house and not bump into anything. And that's comfortable in that house. That's our comfort zone. We can walk through it. But in order to have something new, in order to have a new house, we have to move into something unfamiliar. And she was joking that she's still kind of getting lost occasionally in her new house. I had that same experience when I moved into here because my, the layout is, is the, the exact opposite of the house I lived in previously. So I'd often head for my, my bedroom by going to my office, which are in opposite sides of the house and vice versa. So we have to, our, our comfort zone, our knowing how we do it, 
keeps us in that. It can, as we saw last week, lead us to the edge of the promised land, but not take us into the promised land. For that, we need a crucifixion. And that's the part that we don't like, the dying off of this beautiful summer life that we had and a willingness to wander the desert for 40 days or 40 years, or if we're like Buddha, sit under the Bodhi tree for 90 days until we either truly know the truth, know the answer and, and, and healing of suffering in the world, or die trying. And there's, this is no easy undertaking. This is not an easy process to enter into. Jesus himself knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, saying, take this thing away from me. I don't want it. We spend December, when we first kind of the leaves have fall, fallen and that first darkness is really settling in, we, most of us spend December kind of lighting up the darkness with all the lights we can and being busy, 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 shopping, running around to parties, having a good time, rather than sitting with the quiet darkness of winter. It's why, by the way, I always do the Deepening with Divine retreat in that early part of December, is to capture that, what the land is doing, what the earth is doing, and taking time out of that crazy busyness and getting in touch. And yet it's this very winter, it's this very death, it's this very time in between in which the deep work of the soul, the deep work of the earth within us is done. I have a Rumi poem that I would love to share with you about that. Rumi says, I have come to drag you out of yourself and take you in my heart. I have come to bring out the beauty you never knew you had and lift you like a prayer to the sky. If no one can recognize you, I do because you are my life and soul. Don't run away. Accept your wounds and let bravery be your shield. It takes a thousand stages for the perfect being to evolve. Every step of the way, I will walk with you and never leave you. Be patient. Do not open the lid too soon. Simmer away until you are ready. If we shortchange this process, if we try to go through it quickly, we don't gain the soul growth we need to truly move forward. We don't gain the deepening of our roots into spirit. Rumi also says, why are you so afraid of the silence? Silence is the root of everything. If you spiral into its void, a hundred voices will thunder messages you long to hear. So as we make this journey, as we make this journey, we come to understand that we are, we are not guiding the journey. The journey is guiding us. And we are faced with letting go of the illusion of control of our lives. None of us really have control of our lives. We can kind of, we get to co-play in it, but we don't really control our life. But when we let go, we find that life can be trusted to lead us into a new spring. And one more roomy poem on that subject. As soon as I can get to it here. If you befriend the beloved, you will never be lonely. If you learn to be flexible, you will never be helpless.
The moon shines because it does not run away from the night. The rose is scented because it has embraced the thorn. We are led into a new spring. We recognize we already have a resurrection body, that we are, in fact, the resurrection itself. It is not something that happened to some guy 2,000 years ago. We are today, right now, constantly the resurrection. We recognize that this happens through us, not to us. We allow that spirit to move through us. We say yes. So this week, I'm going to invite you to do and play with two spiritual practices. Number one is to ask and listen for an answer. Where am I being called to step into something greater that I'm resisting because I know it will be uncomfortable? Where am I, where am I being called to that death of something within me that I still want to cling to for a little bit longer? And secondly, I invite you to surrender. And for some of us, that's a dirty, dirty, dirty word. Surrender. To, to follow that teaching of Jesus who said, not my will, but thine be done. To the Buddha who said basically the same thing sitting under the Bodhi tree, Bodhi tree. I am open to what I need to know. Remembering the true surrender, true surrender into spirit brings new and greater life. We surrender. Michael Beckwith says we surrender into our excellence, our spiritual excellence. So I invite you this week to do those two practices. Where am I being called? To notice it and then to surrender into it and say, yes, not my will, not my comfort zone, but thine, which is far greater, which will lead me into something far greater. I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's only a shadow, and I will walk through the valley. I'm not going to set up camp there and, and make a four-star resort hotel. I'm going to walk through and create a, a greater life. Are you willing to do that? Thumbs up if you are. Do that spiritual practice. I want to close with a reading that's out of the, the book that I mentioned, John Shelby Spong, about the resurrection, or uh, called Unbelievable. And he says, the Easter experience in the New Testament, contrary to what we have traditionally been taught over the years, is not about bodies walking out of graves. It is far more profound than that. It is about God being seen in human life, your life, my life. It is about God being seen in human life. By God, I do not mean a supernatural invasive God who violates the laws of nature in order to enter time and space. I mean a transcendent dimension of life into which all can enter, an experience in which life is expanded, love is unlimited, and being is enhanced. I mean the God whose presence and power calls us into our essential oneness, our universal consciousness, our interconnectedness. We are part of who and what God is. God is not a noun we are compelled to define. God is a verb we are invited to live. There is a difference. And it is in that difference that resurrection is both experienced and entered. That, in the last analysis, is what resurrection is all about. And so I'm going to pull up our affirmation. And I invite you to say this with me. I am the resurrection. I am the new life of spring expressing. I claim my greatness now. 
And let's do that one more time to where we can really sing to it. I am the resurrection. I am the new life of spring expressing. I claim my greatness now. Thank you.